Good morning and welcome back to Living with Amuna. The truth is, it's uh, sort of redundant. Because if you don't have Amuna, you're not really living. A person who's going through life selfishly, egotistically, thinks they're in control, thinks they're in charge, takes credit for everything, worries about everything, is not really alive. They're dead even while they're alive. The only way to truly be alive is to live with Amuna. Tzadik be'emunah so yichyeh. Tzvi. The name Tzvi, Tzadik Be'emunah So Yechia. The Tzadik, the righteous, live with Emuna. Emuna is what animates our lives and what gives us life. It's the air that we breathe. It's the oxygen that lets us very much be alive. I want to thank our generous sponsors for the year. Doctors Avi and Bella Morgan, thank you so much for your generosity. We've dedicated our Living with Emuna seriously, the Nishmas, to Dr. Brian Galbit. Baruch Tzvi Ben Ruvein Nasan, who lived a life of Emuna and was an amazing example to all of us. also want to thank the sponsors for today's particular class. The Schreier family, our good friends and loving memory of great uncle Lester Friedman, Eliezer Tzvi Ben Avram, whose Yerzeit is this coming Shabbos, Chav Tes Iyar. And lastly, I want to take the liberty and the license to dedicate our learning today. Today is my bubby, my grandmother, my mother's mother's Yerzeit, Yente Rachel Bas Shmuel, my bubby, my grandmother, for whom my oldest daughter, Rachel, is named. Uh, my grandmother's Yente Rachel, and my daughter's Racheli, Rachel. Uh, my grandmother was a very special woman who really also exemplified living with Emuna. Her favorite Pasuk, even as she lay in the hospital, was Tamur uh, Ukitov Hashem. Taste and you'll see that Hashem is good. She felt Hashem's presence. She loved Hashem. She talked to Hashem. She was and continues to be an inspiration to us. And her neshama should also have an aliyah uh, today on her yurt site and each and every day. We continue our learning of Rav Schwartz's beautiful piece, his essay, Das Bitchonecha, Know Your Bitachon, where he defined Bitachon, very uh, focused for us. Bitachon is not my wish list. I want all these things, and therefore, I believe, I have faith, I trust that Hashem will do them for me. That's not faith, and that's not belief, and that's not trust. That's, in fact, arrogance. That's looking at the world, deciding how you want things to happen, and then asking the almighty, omnipotent, divine, providential being to conform to your will and your wish. That's not faith. That's not trust at all. So therefore, he's defined it for us. What does it mean, bitachon? It means not only that whatever happens to me, I understand and I integrate and I accept as being in my best interest. Certainly, I have my interpretation of what would be best and I go after it, I pursue it. I pursue that person in marriage, I pursue that effort to have children, I pursue that job that I think will provide me a livelihood, I, prov- I pursue that lifestyle that I think will be healthy and well. I take my initiative and I pursue, but once I've done that, Whatever happens and however it happens, whatever life and the world throw my way, I know are not coincidental. They're not random or chance. They're by design. They're choreographed and curated from above that it's all the will of Hashem. That's bitachon. But he's defined it even more directly, even more succinctly. You know what bitachon, what betach is? Bitachon is when I have confidence and comfort and calm because I know that once I express my effort and take my initiative, once I fight like anything in order to do what I think is best, I then <clears throat> concede and submit. I then recognize that it's all from Hashem. So we've been talking for many, many weeks right now. The theme of his essay is we have external selves and internal selves. We have the external sense of the world in which we live that is characterized by battling, by fighting. From when we wake up in the morning, we were just talking about a few minutes ago in our Mesilas Hashem Shir, today is the Ramchal's Yeritzite, we were just talking about how from the moment we wake up, we're battling. We're battling exhaustion. And who wants to wake up? We're battling breakfast. 
and wanting to eat the wrong things. We're battling getting ourselves going and just wanting to take a nap on the couch. We're battling sharing gossip or forwarding that inappropriate meme or gif or email. We're battling, 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 and all that's by 7 o'clock in the morning. And that lasts until we go to sleep at night. The external sense of self has to overcome so much inertia, so much friction. We have to overcome so much momentum that sometimes feels like it is in our way and flowing against us just to get through the day. But the internal sense of self, the godly sense of self is not battling. It sees a harmony of the universe. It understands that everything is God's will and God's design and therefore those are just things I need to do. But there are no opposing forces. There is nothing that stands in my way. I simply am the person I'm meant to be and I live the life I'm meant to live and I make the choices that are correct and right for me to choose and once I've done that, I have a calm and a confidence. I can live with a peace and a tranquility. It doesn't mean I don't live with pain. People have sustained great loss through this horrific pandemic and the grief is real. People who can't celebrate the way they deserve to celebrate milestones and simchas. People who can't grieve and mourn the way they deserve to honor the memory of loved ones who are gone. People who can't go out and have experiences or take the vacations. People who don't have access to the jobs they worked hard to achieve. There's real grief, there's real pain, there's real sadness. And Rav Schwartz is not suggesting that we deny or deprive ourselves of experiencing any of those emotions. But all he is suggesting is do we experience them from a position of calm and a position of peace? That yes, this is painful, and yes, it hurts, but I have trust and I have confidence that it's for a reason. I'm not battling. I accept that this is the divine will for a reason I can't have access to. Now, some people really struggle with that. Some people really struggle. How do I understand? Why do bad things happen to good people? It's an amazing program this coming Sunday, uh, Vaichan, which has uh, diverse uh, Torah leadership, men and women, from across the Orthodox spectrum speaking. So Yechavad and I were interviewed for it, streaming, it'll be shown on, on Sunday as part of this program. And one of the topics that came up is how do we teach our children about why bad things happen to good people? Why are there righteous people around us? For some family members, for other just uh, religious leaders and righteous people and neighbors, both public, publicly uh, uh, un understood and appreciated for their righteousness and people who very modestly and privately led righteous lives. And we're losing them. And how do you explain? So I asked, the, I told the person interviewing who asked that question, I said, what do you mean, how do you explain that to children? How do you explain that to adults? Can someone explain it to me? I'm the rabbi. I'm meant to explain it to others. Who's going to explain it to me? There is no answer. And we have to concede and submit and realize that if I knew why bad things happen to good people, then I wouldn't be having faith in God. I'd be God. Because only God, from His divine perch, only God, from His infinite porch, only God, from His omnipotent perspective, can look at this world and know and see the bigger picture can look ahead, can understand. We, what I emphasize to him, and, and I don't want to spoil the uh, entire thing if you want to watch it, but what I emphasize that we do for children is first of all, validate their feeling, that it's understandable. You know, too many children have been turned off to religion because they had a teacher, a Rebbe, a parent who said, we don't ask that. That lacks a moon and bitachon. Don't challenge, don't ask. Quiet, we just trust. That's also not accurate. That's not our tradition. Avram Avinu didn't protest God and say, how could you kill people in stone? Maybe there's someone righteous there. We don't have a tradition of protest. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say, show me your face, Hashem. Show me why bad things happen to good people. To which Hashem replied, you could see the back of my head. You can understand some things in retrospect, but you won't understand things as they happen. We have a illustrious tradition 
of our most prominent and esteemed leaders, who also had this question, why do bad things happen to good people? And they objected, they protested the Almighty to Hashem. So the answer is not to become paralyzed or debilitated by the question, it's to use the question to become closer to Him and to realize there's nothing wrong with the question. And in fact, even just having that question means I believe in Hashem. Because if I didn't have trust, I didn't believe in Hashem, I wouldn't ask where is He and how could He do this. I would say He didn't do it. It's random. It's statistic. It's chance. It's happenstance. It's natural order. It's a disease. It's a virus. It's an illness. The very fact that we're, we're bothered by this question is in itself an expression of the faith that we have in Him, that we expect more, that we expect and we want and we seek to understand. So bitachon doesn't mean that world goes our way, that life's going to go our way. And bitachon doesn't mean that we don't honor and feel the very real feelings of grief, of loss, loss, real loss of people and of life, or even the loss of experiences or hopes or dreams or opportunities, which the last two months has has hurt all of us with taking away things the way we'd want it to be. Real bitachon simply means that instead of viewing the world as opposing me, as obstacles in front of me, I accept that it's all divine. It's all from Hashem. And so every day I wake up and I say, what do I need to do? I need to fight the illness. And I need to fight the injustice. And I need to do what I need to do to provide for my family. Every day I wake up, I do what I need to do. But however it results, whatever its consequence, whatever will happen in the end, I accept as being from Hashem. There's a harmony in the universe. I'm not battling and I'm not fighting, but I see the world as an expression of Hashem's will. And therefore, I'm able to accept. I'm able to have a sense of calm, no matter what's going on in our way. And I'll tell you, this, this notion, this, in a sense, a positivity bias, we have precedent. We have extraordinary people who live that way. And I'll give you one example. I, I recently uh, gave a shir in Shalom Bias, and someone so generously sent me this beautiful book, Positivity Bias, written by Reb Mendel Kalmanson. And it's all about practical wisdom from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, about living with a positivity bias. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, and, and I can't summarize an entire book right now, in a few minutes, but the Lubavitcher Rebbe lived that way. Everything for him was interpreted in a positive sense. He didn't see what was missing, he saw what was there. He didn't see the crisis, he saw the opportunity. He didn't see the pain, he saw the potential for joy. So, you know, you might think, well, Lubavitcher Rebbe, he had an easy life. So it's easy to have a positivity bias. It's easy to live with a calm and a confidence. It's easy to see the world as operating in harmony. It's easy to focus on what we're meant to do and how we're meant to contribute and repair the world rather than what the world owes us and what it's denying us and depriving us of. Because I'm sure for the Rebbe it was smooth sailing and everything came easy. Not exactly. Let me just read to you. He writes, it's important to note that the redemptive perspectives presented in this book are not those of a man who lived a life of peace and privilege. They're the insights of a man, the Rebbe, who lived through waves of pogroms, the killing fields of World War I, a typhus epidemic, a refugee crisis, the persecution and forced exile of his father, whom he never saw again, the Bolshevik Revolution, the rise of communism, World War II, the brutal murder of his brother, grandmother, and numerous other relatives at the hands of the Nazis, and a life of childlessness. The Lubavitcher Rebbe and his Rebetzin never had a child. They lived a life of childlessness. This is not a man who had smooth sailing, everything came easy, so he had a positivity bias. Did you listen to the list of what I've just read? Is anyone who's listening right now, can they honestly say that they too have gone through a life of each one of those challenges, World War I, World War II, pogroms, typhus, Bolshevik revolution, and a life of childlessness? And despite all of that, and even maybe with all of that, the Rebbe chose, he made the choice, he was the pilot and the passenger of his life, and he made the choice to have a positivity bias. And how did he make that choice? Where did he draw that strength to live life and look at it in that way? Because 
he had real bitachon, because he had the calm and the serenity and the confidence that comes that knows that nothing that's happening, none of those episodes, not even the childlessness, which were undoubtedly unbearably painful for him and his wife, was all by design. Does that mean they didn't try to have children? Does that mean that they didn't do everything they could to have children? Of course they did. But nevertheless, when they couldn't, when they didn't, they didn't live a life of, of pain and protest in the end. They ultimately lived a life that this was Hashem's will. And therefore, they were able to have a sense of, of calm. Okay, let's continue. This is so important in the period we find ourselves. We're still in Svira Sa'omer. And why did Rabbi Akiva lose 24,000 students? People mistreat one another. Gossip, slander, hate, hypercriticism, judgment, dismissiveness, marginalization. We know that these are the characters, the qualities. They're the reason we still don't have a base on Mikdash. They're the reason for a plague so many years ago. They're a reason for a plague right now. It's so painful to see. I was on hours and hours of, of Zoom meetings yesterday. You know, when we were in the height of this, when things were terrible, it was easy to have unity among the leadership because there was one message. Hide under your bed, nobody go out. Practice the safest and most extreme and draconian distancing. And that was the unified message. And we proudly all spoke with one voice and it was easy. But now that in some places and communities we're turning a corner, and now there's some debate if, when, how, at what speed, in what increments you should open, it's very uh, potentially divisive. And we're running the risk of, of the very same qualities that bring every plague upon us of, of revisiting those same things again, sinaschinam, of a baseless hatred and criticism and judgment. We have to be very careful to try to speak with unity, even if we're not entirely uniform in how we're doing this. So he writes from Schwartz so beautifully. He says, if you're really living this life, if you're really living this life of bitachon, that means that you look at your life and you say, I have no obstacles. I'm not opposing anything. I'm not battling from when I wake up in the morning. I simply have my list of things I have to do, but in the end I accept that the world operates with the harmony and the harmony of the universe is determined from above from Hashem. A person who lives that way, who achieves that lifestyle, who wears those glasses, or as we've spoken previously, who has that LASIK surgery, a person like that, lo titachein, it's impossible to conceive a metzius, a reality, she'adam chai chaye bitachon, a person who lives with bitachon, v'hugam sone anashim, and he can hate other people. If you truly have bitachon, you know what the measure or metric of bitachon? We saw one, one came from Rabbeinu Bachia, in his Chovas Halavavos, that one measure of bitachon is, are you calm? If you're chaotic, if you're anxious, then you don't really have bitachon. That's the gut check on bitachon. But another gut check, another measure or metric on bitachon is, do you have enemies? Are there people you hate? Are you filled with hatred of others? Because it's impossible, it's impossible to live bitachon and to have hate. Yesh in the Now you can understand this superficially and externally. What does that mean? that you can't have bitachon and hate. So the simple way of understanding this is, I won't ever hate anyone. Why? Because when the doctor, none of you even asked how my root canal went. I'm just joking. You all asked me, and I appreciate that. It went incredibly smoothly. Remember last Wednesday, I spoke about how frustrating it was I went to the appointment and I paid money and there was a miscommunication. I thought I was having the root canal that day and it turned out it was just a consult, which I didn't even need and, um, and how frustrating that was. So I ended up having the root canal last week and I went 
beautifully, perfectly, fantastic doctor, didn't feel a thing, literally, from beginning to end, and Bli Hara have healed wonderfully. So I might have said, look, I'm furious at the, at the scheduler of this, of this doctor. I'm furious at the doctor himself. I'm furious at the nurse, the secretary. I'm furious at someone in my office. How could this miscommunication or mishap have happened? It wasted my time and it wasted my nervousness and energy. How could it have happened? But says the Ramban, no. person has to say, I have a moon ambitachum. So therefore, it wasn't meant to be to have the root canal that day. It was meant to be to be a different day. I don't know why. Maybe the dentist didn't get a good night's sleep the night before that day. And he would have slipped and hurt me. Maybe I would have ruined my Shabbos. Maybe, who knows what? Who knows what? And we'll never know what. Maybe never know what. But Amuna means, I don't ever get angry at anybody. Why? Because I have to believe, and I have to know, that also echad shepaga bihu rak shlichu shalabari Because that secretary, that nurse, that doctor, they didn't harm me. They were simply the agent of the Almighty who needed me to be rescheduled. So how could I lash out? How could I be angry? Certainly, how would I ever, God forbid, seek to take revenge against anyone? Even those who seemingly harm me, hurt me, or wrong me, are just agents from above. They're not the ones who've done it. And though, though we hold them accountable, somebody smashes into your car and owes you money, you can take them to court, you can collect your money, but you can't hate them, can't even dislike them. And you certainly can't take revenge against them, because it's all from Hashem. How could you get angry? And how can you hate somebody who's simply an agent from above? Ha'af umnam, however, he says, that's true. That, that is a proper definition. Live your life, and even when others seem to harm you or hurt you, recognize and realize that they're simply agents of above. It's not you. But says Rav Schwartz, Schwartz, I want to address the notion that there's a contradiction, an inherent contradiction between hatred, hating others, and living with bitachon of Hashem that's different from what we just described. So it's not just about, I deny God's role in my life if I, um, I deny God's role in my life if I, um, if I hate someone. And, and I fail to recognize they're just an agent from above. It's much deeper than that. And what does he mean? So stick with me. As we've been saying, living a life of bitachon means a life where there's no opposition. A life where I'm not battling. I'm calm, I'm peaceful, I'm serene. There's harmony. By the way, there are people who do this in Sloan Kettering Hospital. There are people who are doing this in COVID wards. There are people who are doing this on unemployment lines. There are people who are calm. There are those who are frazzled and anxious and worried and fearful and angry. And there are those who are able to live with this bitachon, even as they're going through hard times, to nevertheless say that it's from above. I'm going to do all that I can. It's not a contradiction to take initiative and to trust and to have calmness at the same time. So it's much deeper. At first blush, I might have said, what does one thing have to do with the other? Bitachon is about me and God. Leave the people who hurt me out of it. If I compete ruthlessly, or if I take revenge, or if I hate that person, I can't stand them. I don't want to be around them. I try to isolate and marginalize them. God, what does that have to do with my relationship with you? When it comes to you, oh, I love you and I trust you and I say, Amir Hashem, Hashem, Baruch Hashem, I daven and I shuckle and I, 
God, my relationship with you is flourishing, it's thriving, it's beautiful. What is my hatred and animosity towards another person? What is my inability to get along with a family member or friend or coworker? What does that have to do with you, God? At first I might have said, they're two separate spheres. They're two separate arenas. There's no connection between the two. God, stay in your lane. Stay in your domain. In my relationship with you, I'm golden. I'm good. I'm well behaved. My relationship with people is another side altogether. Stay away. It's nothing to do with it. However, says Rav Schwartz, when a person understands the depth, a person understands the profundity of bitachon, that it's an inner world. Bitachon is not a choice of a moment. Bitachon is not just a muscle you work out. Bitachon is a lifestyle. It's, it's the glasses we're wearing. It's the LASIK surgery we undergo. It's that I live my life. There's no opposition. I don't confront anything. Other people, nature, schedules. I don't, I, it's all harmony. It's all the way it's meant to be. I do what I have to do. I do what I'm meant to do. And then it's all harmony. A person who lives that way, a person who lives that, that lifestyle, Azai kfar muvan shim adam sone mishu zuhora bruru she'en lo bitachon emes. So the real definition of bitachon is, I don't, there's nothing that opposes me. There are things I meant to try to overcome, and if I can't, then they're meant to be there. They're not opposing me. They're actually my friend. So then how could you ever hate anybody? You would never be filled with hate. You'd never seek revenge. You might withdraw if people are, are, are mean, if people are cruel, they're unkind. If someone's hurt you, you might withdraw from them. You're not obligated to have a close relationship with them. But even then, you'd never hate them. You'd say, for whatever reason, they were meant to be in my life. I was meant to encounter them. And I don't have to battle with them. And they're not an opponent to me. It's simply part of the life I'm meant to live because the world operates with harmony. The universe is by design. Torah tells us in Pasha's Kedoshim, you're not allowed to take revenge. And, furthermore, not only may you not take revenge, but you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And how does that pass again, that string of psukim? Don't take revenge. Don't exact retribution. In fact, love your neighbor. Be filled with love, love and peace. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Pasuk ends somewhat cryptically. I am Hashem. I am the Lord your God. What does one thing have to do with the other? There's people. There's my relationship with Hashem. What do the two domains have to do with one another? The depth of understanding. From where do I draw the strength to only love my fellow Jew? How can I love everybody? How do I love everybody? Only see the good in everyone. Only see the good in everything. How do you live the life? The shir is dedicated to Brian Galbert. Everything is amazing. Brian, there's nobody he disliked. Forget that no one disliked him. That's easy to understand. But there's no one he disliked. Now, were there people who had different lifestyles and values, even people who hurt him? Yes, it was a choice he made because he looked at the world as operating in harmony, as being the will of Hashem. He saw the good in others. And therefore, there was nobody he disliked. Ani Hashem. Because when you realize that everything is from Hashem, there's a harmony to the universe, then you can't hate anybody. So where do you draw the strength? From where do you draw the confidence and the calm? 
from where do you draw the resolve and the tenacity and the perseverance and the resilience to never hate, to never want to take revenge, to look at this world and say, that's the way that was meant to be. You know, you draw that from the end of the Pasuk, Ani Hashem. Because when you look at this world, you say, you know what, I'm not in charge and I'm not in control and I can't micromanage and I can't manipulate, but it's really all up to Him. Ani Hashem, this is His world. I'm a guest. I'm a guest in His world. Then again, I may make the person who hurt me pay, not pay like revenge, but pay as in compensate. So a person damaged my car. If a person hurt me in business, cheated or lied, I'm allowed to go collect what I'm right, rightfully due. I'm allowed to go collect it, but I'll never hate. I'll never lower myself or contaminate or compromise myself by being filled with, with hate. It's a contradiction. It's a contradiction to have bitachon, to be able to hate others. Right, one of the one of the uh, Rambam's principles of faith is that Hashem did, does, and will do. That Hashem is the source of everything. There is no existence. There is an illusion of this world, but everything really is an extension of Him. If you lived your life, as we spoke about many, many times, a couple years ago, we spent many sessions on Ein Od Milvado. I have a beautiful artwork hanging in my house that says Ein Od Milvado. And we have a beautiful little sign that sits on our, on our table when, at our meals. Ein Od Milvado. There is nothing but Him. It's all Hashem. We have to remind us. Ein Od Milvado. Those three words. It should be on our computer screen, in our bathroom mirror, in our kitchen refrigerator, and it should be everywhere. Ein Od Milvado. There is nothing. There's a harmony to the universe. Hashem is choreographing and curating it all. And therefore, I have what I'm meant to do, and I have the life I'm meant to live and the initiative I'm meant to take, and I have to battle externally in the ways I'm meant to externally battle for wellness and health and well-being and in parnasa. But yet, when it's all said and done internally, I can feel a sense of calm and confidence, of harmony and of peace. Anything that looks outside like it's opposing me, we absorb it, we integrate it, we accept it as being coming from Hashem. Externally, we see it as an opposing force. That red light, that delayed flight, that, that um, customer who's giving me a hard time, that supposed friend in the community who spoke negatively about me. Externally, it feels like battling, but internally I pause, internally I reflect, internally I think, and I have the capacity to accept that it's all from above. We have the ability to climb out of that dark place, of that pit, to be able to not live life where we are opposing forces. And I'll give you a very real example of this. I'm sure I've shared it with you before. Somebody asked, what about a Amalek? Are we allowed to hate? Sure, Torah tells us certain specific. Evil, you're allowed to hate, but not hate the emotion, hate the action. It means to, to pursue social justice. It means to oppose those who seek to, to our ends. The whole heroic IDF, the Israeli army, that protects the Jewish people in Israel and around the world. We're allowed to hate Hamas and Hezbollah. We're allowed to hate those who seek our demise, but not a, a, a hate which is debilitating, a hate which is, which is productive and which is facilitating. 
So there are circumstances. It's not that we say, well, Hashem wants there to be Hezbollah and, and Hamas in the world, so I love Hezbollah and I love Hamas. No, part of Hashem's plan is that externally we recognize that there are those forces that we're meant to confront, but even so, internally, yes, Hashem orchestrated a world and a history for the Jewish people, which has been riddled by adversaries and enemies, and that is His design. And there's a harmony to His universe, and we have to accept it even when we don't understand it. So I'll give you a real example, as I said, I've probably given you before. But many, many years ago, somebody uh, decided that they were going to send a letter out to the community about me. It wasn't really about me, it was about my salary. There was a financial recession, and they suggested that maybe I and the other uh, rabbis need to take a pay cut. They signed it anonymously, boldly and courageously. They did not sign their name. And they sent it around, they put it in mailboxes around the entire community. And it was a painful few days and a painful experience for me. I was a young rabbi at the time, and I took it understandably, very personally, and it was very painful. It just happened to be, as if anything ever just happens to be. Of course, it was from Hashem. But right around then, I was learning the Sefer HaChinach, and I was learning these mitzvahs, the prohibition of being able to take revenge. And the Sefer HaChinach and this prohibition, why does the Torah forbid us from taking revenge? Maybe we should be allowed to. We should be gibor. I should be strong and heroic. Nobody messes with me. I don't, I don't uh, get angry, I get even. Who said that? Clint Eastwood. Maybe we should show the world who's boss. Why does the Torah go out of its way to say, you can't take revenge? Why can't I? Sometimes revenge seems like it's, it's right or it's justice. So the Sefer HaChinuch gives exactly this reason. And the Sefer HaChinuch says, you know, you need to differentiate between what you experienced and where it came from. You see, if someone hurt you or injured you and you have the ability to hold them accountable, you should. As I said, someone cheated you in business, you're allowed to take them to court. Somebody damaged your property, you're allowed to uh, hold them accountable to compensate. That's externally, the external action you're allowed to and meant to take. But internally, your feeling towards them and towards what happened, you need to pause and sit back and say to yourself, right, to say, Rachinach, if Hashem didn't want my car to be damaged, if He didn't want me to suffer this financial loss or have to go through the effort to recover it and be compensated, it couldn't have and it wouldn't have happened. Nothing can happen without the consent or the will of Hashem. And so if you take revenge and you exclusively hold the other accountable for what happened to you, you have erased God from the equation. You've knocked him out of the entire picture. You simply are acting as if human beings alone have the ability to determine everything that happens. So the Sefer HaChinuch says, taking revenge is in fact an act of heresy. You've erased God from your life. Instead, the proper response is to say, I'm going to hold the person accountable. I'm going to collect or be compensated for the damage they've done but I'm not going to lose my cool, I'm not going to get angry, I'm not going to be filled with hate, and I'm never going to seek revenge. Instead, what I'm going to do is say, Hashem, what am I meant to learn from this? And I learned that, I learned that Sefer HaChinuch exactly when this happened, and I'm not telling you that I'm perfect or, or dealt with it perfectly, but I'm giving you an example because it gave me tremendous strength, and I hope it gives you strength if you've ever felt hurt by somebody. And instead I said to myself, what am I meant to learn by the experience of feeling that this went around the community? Now, did I try to figure out who it was and would there have been consequences if I found out? Yes, but I didn't try to take revenge and I tried to, instead of remain focused on them, instead to focus on me. Why did Hashem allow, enable, consent? Why did Hashem orchestrate this to happen? What was I meant to experience? 
If Hashem wanted all those letters to get lost in the mail, they would have been lost in the mail. If He wanted that person's printer to run out of ink, it would have run out of ink. If He wanted that person to have a fleeting thought to do it and nevertheless give up on it, the person would have given up on it. If they could do it, it's only because it was part of Hashem's master plan, and that's something for me to learn from. So that's the message of, of Rav Schwartz for today, is that a person who live, really lives with a life of bitach on the way we've defined it, that the world is harmony, that maybe externally I have to battle, maybe externally I have to overcome and confront opposing forces, his nagdus, but internally everything is the way it's meant to be. Internally there's calm and confidence. Internally there's harmony to the universe. That if a person lives such a way, they'll never hate another. Because yeah, you'll do what you have to do. Take someone to court if you have to. Make them compensate if you have to. But internally you'll never hate. You'll be incapable of hate. Like our dear role model, Brian, You'll simply say everything is amazing and everyone is amazing and you'll choose to see the good in them. So we have this capacity. It's inside us. We'll just end with one more sentence for today. He describes very beautifully. When the Torah talks about marriage, the Torah says a person should look for an Ezer Kenegdo. When God divided Adam, this androgynous figure, into two, split into two, man and woman, God said, why did I do that? Because man needs an Ezer Kinegdo. The word Ezer means a helpmate. Kinegdo means opposite. So which is it? Isn't that an intrinsic contradiction? Are you a helpmate? Or are you standing opposite? Hatfisa chitzonis mevaeres zacha Ezer lo zacha Kinegdo lihilachem. So Chazal, our rabbis, understood it to mean if you merit and you have a beautiful, harmonious, wonderful marriage, and right now, for the last two months, everybody's finding out exactly what kind of marriage they have, when they could run away from the house, when they could be distracted with their hobbies, when they can go and hide behind going to work, when they were able to live two parallel lives, eh, everything seemed well and good. But now that we've been put in this intense incubator, living under this pressure cooker, everyone's learning about their marriage. So Zacha, if you married, then it's Ezer. Psh, helpmate. What a beautiful, harmonious, loving marriage. Lo Zacha, Kinegdo. But if you don't merit, if you didn't achieve that kind of marriage, then all it feels is like kinegdo. The nagging and the fighting and the opposition and the friction, and it never ends. But Rav Schwartz has an alternative suggestion, interpretation. He says, Such a beautiful interpretation. He says what it really means is when God says, I'm going to make you an Ezer Kinegdo, it means that the Kinegdo is part of the Ezer. You know, when you have a yes person, if you're married to somebody who simply thinks you're the cat's meow, you're perfect, you could do no wrong, who laughs at every joke and who supports and everything you do, that's not really a good, a good partner in life. That's not really a great spouse. Because really they need to tell you, no, you've pushed the boundary too far. You've crossed the line. You're not being your best self. You really need to work on that. The true Azer has a willingness sometimes to go kinegdo. And that's not only true for marriage, that a true partner in marriage knows how to the right way. You gotta read Dr. Gottman's books. You have to know how to communicate it the right way, the effective way. But knows how to not only be an Azer, a good marriage, a healthy marriage, has to include the ability to be kinegdo. To say, I love you and you're amazing, you know how great I think you are, but I think you made the wrong choice. Or you think you said the wrong thing. Or I think you're pushing the boundary too far or I humbly disagree with you, I, I would ask you to reconsider um, your opinion or position on that thing. When you have someone who's kinegdo, that is an expression of their ability to be an azer. 
Sometimes when we confront something that seems like it's blocking us or opposing us, it in fact is helping us, it's redirecting us. And if we didn't have it to help us, and it simply acted as if it was enabling us, it would actually lead us to a very bad place, to a bad place. There is no difference between the time that they are an Azer and the time they're a Kinegdo. While they're an Azer, they're working for me in my best interest. And when they stand sometimes connecto, opposite me, opposing me, they're also connecto. In other words, I live my whole life with a confidence and a calm that our interactions are always azer. They're always there to help me. Sometimes they'll help me explicitly, and sometimes they'll help me implicitly by opposing me. But that has to be the attitude of marriage, and it has to be the attitude in life. That to live life and see the good, choose to see the good, choose to see the good. As I began with, my bubby, Yantarachah Bashmuel, my amazing grandmother, Tamuru Ukitov Hashem. She said, Taste this world and you'll see Kitov Hashem. Hashem is good. See the good and feel the good and love the good and taste the good. Choose to see and feel Hashem in your life and you will see good today and every day. So thank you for joining us. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel. Even if you're not, please subscribe. Tonight's Behind the Bima special edition. Not only do we have the great comedian Modi, we're going behind the Bima with Modi, 9 p.m. on uh, Facebook or on uh, Zoom. But big surprise announcement tonight. Big, big announcement you're not going to want to miss. 9 p.m. tonight. Hope you join us. Wishing everyone a happy, healthy, and a very holy day.